hot and trending in music right now. I'm singer-songwriter Nina Blue. And I am singer-songwriter-producer Jay Zander. This is season two, the opening episode, and we are reviewing our Grammy picks for the 2023 Grammys. Nina it's... lost, y'all. She lost. Oh, God. She so lost bad. bad. So, listen, I won the big one. That's the one that I got. Well, yeah, we'll uh, talk about it. Oh, my gosh. We'll get into it. Jay, do you have any, like, general comments about the Grammy? I actually liked this year's show. I thought it was more entertaining than, like, recent shows. I thought the performances were really good. I was entertained through most of it and happy because most of my picks won, so there's that. Yeah, I was, um, I watched them later, so I already oh. knew that I had lost big time by the time I was watching the awards. So I wasn't like waiting with bated breath to find out. I just want to say Trevor Noah is such a good host. Like you can tell he's really tapped into the conversations around pop music. He's funny, but he doesn't like hit below the belt. All of his jokes are really flattering to the people that are nominated. And I just like, yeah, I really appreciate that. Apparently there are all these stories about how everyone was late to the awards because of the rain. Oh and yeah. He had to stall. There were and floods really out there. Yeah, it was like a flash flood warning, I believe. So one of the guys he worked with on the Grammys tells the story of how they got Mariah Carey to the Grammys to present the award to Miley Cyrus, the opening award. And they had to literally like take a golf cart out onto the freeway, cover Mariah Carey in like a bubble of umbrellas and just feed to the award show. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Like, I, I I, want video of that so badly because I feel like Mariah Carey would just be cracking jokes the whole time. She has a very interesting sense of humor. She I, does. I, I enjoy it. We love it. Yeah. She presented the award to Miley. Miley got her first Grammy and also crushed her performance and was hilarious about it. I was so happy for her. Yeah, I like that it wasn't like an overly... It, this show didn't seem like that serious in tone for me if that makes sense like it just wasn't as stuffy as you would normally expect award shows like this to be like particularly this performance this was a really light-hearted year and i appreciated that i do too and miley's like laughing at herself she's having a good time i posted on tiktok she really took the go back until you hate him method all the way to the grammys mm -hmm. which it's hilarious. We all know who she's talking about. And now she's got a Grammy about it. Yeah. But one thing I like about this song is that, like, we do know who she's talking about. But even if we didn't, the song still works. Right? Yeah. Because it's, it's like, just vague enough to the point where you're not, you as a listener don't feel isolated by it. I mean, it's something everybody's dealt with before once you hurt once you hit like a certain age right but like the concept itself of just flowers in general and her as a woman being able to just you know this doesn't mean anything to me i can get it myself that's yeah. very smart that's like a very interesting way to frame this post breakup kind of song it, and it's really easy to um overdo that kind of song in a cliche way but i think it this song avoids it i think it was the right song for the right moment too because it has that like disco feel to it and we were in the year of the barbie movie which had peloton pop disco as part of its soundtrack um dua lipa had just come out of her disco era and it 
was familiar enough to so many generations and it was also catchy enough and it had this great empowering message i think it was the right song at the right moment especially for her and she sings the shit out of it yeah that's a really good point i feel like the grammys love that kind of thing like throwback to like funker disco especially i don't know why it seems to do really well there like the um Bruno Mars album that won album of the year a couple years ago, like had a lot of that Daft Punk as well as Futury as they sound, they incorporate a lot of that into their sound the when they want into their Futury sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this very vintage. It's very cool. Cause it's like a fusion of old meets new. So it does like you were saying, kind of bridge that generational gap. Which if you look at like the Grammy voting body they are older and we are all prone to nostalgia especially the older that we get so speaking of throwbacks this was really a year of throwbacks the chasey the tracy chapman performance with luke combs because he you and i talked about this he spent a number of weeks at the top of the billboard hot 100 with his cover Mm -hmm. i think this is probably one of the best songs ever yeah i think this is my favorite performance of the night it was definitely mine too um joni mitchell had me tearing up for sure but i think that was was more because when are we going to see joni mitchell perform again i mean honestly she's just getting up there and so that was yeah. it was a really beautiful performance but this was probably my favorite luke combs did a really good job of setting it up and explaining what the song meant to him and why um and I love how many people thought that Luke Combs had written this song. I thought those were memes at a certain <laughs> point, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, do you remember when Four or Five Seconds came out with Kanye and people were like, hey, this Paul McCartney guy is going to blow the fuck up. And it was so cringy because I, I legitimately could not tell. Like, are these people serious? That's so funny to me. Or um, the teenage girls who thought that John Mayer wrote Free Fallen. Oh. (laughs) That's so sad. Once upon a time. (laughs) Poor things. One of the categories that I wanted to touch on was Best Musica Urbana Album. Carol G won for that, which was a really big win for her. I was really happy for her, but I did kind of wish that Data won. Because you and I have talked about Tiny's album, like, all last year. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've That album, the Tiny album, is just, like, more of my aesthetic. It's just, for me, it's, it's slightly, I don't know, it's edgier. But I can see... Um, why they made the decision they did also. So, yeah. really good for her. I am really happy for her. SZA's performance... Um, absolutely killed. I loved it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. One thing that one of the like TikToks I love is when people sit down and actually like pay attention to the lyrics of Snooze because it's not like a cutesy, let's just lay down together and and do stuff. Like it it, it all kind of fits together with Kill Bill if you really think about it. They're basic, she's basically saying, Yeah, I will fuck bitches up with you. Like, let's go do crimes together that's the kind of romance that she's talking about 
I love that for her. Um, yeah. It was such a good performance. And you could tell, like, she was singing live. And, like, it, she just absolutely killed it. Something that cracked yeah. me up was Phoebe Bridger's face while this one dancer was doing all this sword work, like, on the table yeah. doing the transition from Snooze. Like, uh, to Kill Bill. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen was just Phoebe Bridger's. <laughs> totally in awe. Okay, so for the first award that we talked about, it was Record of the Year. You predicted that Flowers would win, and you were absolutely correct. I predicted What Was I Made For? And then we switched for Song of the Year. You predicted What Was I Made For? And I predicted Flowers. And so you got the order absolutely correct. I'm not going to lie. I, I re-listened to our predictions episode a couple days ago just so you wouldn't try any sneaky stuff um and i'm not gonna lie like even in the moment and listening back to it i was like i don't really understand what she was thinking there <laughs> because like <laughs> what was i made for is a really really beautiful well-constructed song but the production is very kind of bare to its benefit so i was like i don't i just for me, I was like, I don't see this winning like record of the year because record really is about like the whole sonic soundscape, mm -hmm. right? And going back to like flowers, like I said, the academy really loves this kind of throwback sound, which flowers absolutely has, and just like it nails its overall aesthetic. So that's kind of why I predicted the way that I did. Yeah, the reason why I predicted the way that I did, I knew that they were going to award Flowers something. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that they were going to award What Was I Made For something. Because, I mean, both songs deserved a Grammy Award this year. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. My point was that uh, Phineas and Billie Eilish are really more known as producers. And sometimes <clears throat> the Academy just does weird things like that because they're so well known for their production style and and what they incorporate into it but no you were you were dead on i was like what if the grammys does something really weird and i was not rewarded by that at all mm -hmm. took a chance and it did not not pay off no it did not uh um, but you know so what if if um what was i made for it like if it wasn't a contender i feel like flowers also would have probably won song of the year yeah, it probably would have swept. I did really like the John Batiste song. He is kind of a Grammy darling, but I don't think he won big this year, or at least not in any of the major categories. I saw, yeah, and just adding to that, I saw one of, uh, this comment made me so sad. I think it was like on Instagram. Somebody was like, we're really living in the timeline where Lana's not going to win a Grammy, huh? Like, that's oh, so I was going to save that for the end that we talk yeah. about that. Because oh. that's one of the big controversies of the night. We can get, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get back into to the it. controversies after we get into the awards. Yeah, I am not happy about that. I, I wasn't either. Yeah. Okay, so Songwriter of the Year, neither of us was correct. Your wish was Shane McNally, McAnally? I don't know how to say it. I always get it wrong, terrible. too. The prediction was Justin Tranter. I both wished for and predicted Justin Tranter, neither of us correct. It went to Tobias Jesso Jr., which was a really big surprise. That's kind of sad that like we're that's our whole thing we're as songwriters and we didn't, you know, get this one. But I did I did do some research on the winner also. And he wrote Icy by Kim Petros, which is like one of my 
probably top three songs from her. So I was like, okay, I can see it. But I don't know like what he did throughout the course of the year. So even with that in mind, I'm like, I don't think I could have guessed based on, you know. Yeah. Um, they did list his body of work when I was like looking it up and I was quite yeah. impressed by it because mm -hmm. it is the body of work that you do within a year is right. the consideration for the category. This is a brand new category honoring songwriters. It's odd that we didn't have it for years and years and years. For those of you who don't know, we went over this in the predictions episode a little bit, but there are kind of two categories of awards at the Grammys. There's that for recording and that for like writing, which is kind of how we split everything in the industry. It's kind of like it's either recording or it's publishing, right? It's yeah. the craft. So we finally have something that's awarding the craft of songwriting. And so it's really hard to predict this award because we just we haven't seen a lot of people win it yet but also like the their bodies of work that like were nominated were more so i don't feel like a lot of them were comprised of like single material if that makes mm -hmm. sense like some of them were a lot of them were deep cuts or album tracks yeah yeah so it's like unless you're listening to music just all the time which i mean nina and i are but you know, nobody can listen to everything that comes out all the time. Um, it's it's hard to keep up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's a, an award that's really difficult to keep up with because songwriters are really more all over the place, whereas producers are usually like on a project. Yeah, to have like, that's a really good point to have like a definitive sound for the album. Yeah. So like a producer will have multiple albums like Jack Antonoff, who won for his multiple albums this year, which you also predicted. He won producer of the year. And so that's a little bit easier to like listen, whereas songwriters might have like three credits on one album and then two credits on another and then one over here and three over there. Like songwriters were just a little more all over the place, um, just based on what gets placed, what feels good for an artist, etc. Whereas like producers they're on the project, like start to finish usually. Yeah. But shout out to Justin Tranter for hosting the, I don't remember what it's called. It's like the pre Grammys, whatever they are. Yeah. Like they host, they give out like most of the engineering and sort of background awards, um, the unsung hero awards, as I like to call them, like before the yeah. actual show. That's exactly what I'm going to start calling it, the Unsung Hero Awards. That's great. Mm -hmm. Justin Tranter, I'm so impressed with him. And he was specifically asked about like why Songwriter of the Year is an important category. His answer was fantastic. I've started following him on TikTok. He's what did he say? Um, I don't remember. I remember listening to his comments and he was just talking about like, how important songwriters are to the industry and how they go under the radar and how it's really important to hold up the craft of songwriting because like the elements of what make a good song are kind of universal i just really appreciated his comments he seems like a real class act and i just love him for it you know one thing i want to touch on real quick because for me i don't know about you nina but like i didn't find out until like kind of later in life that a lot of singers that like i would listen to like weren't writing their own songs i just yeah. always assume that they at least have a part and some of them don't even do that so that's why songwriters are like super important but also i saw on tiktok 
this girl said something along the lines of maybe we need to get back to the point where songwriters are writing and the pop singers are doing their roles like the parts are getting kind of equally I felt distributed. I that way for a while. I can't believe you didn't send me that video on TikTok. I should, like, I have I should a whole have. rant about this. Yeah, and it's like, she makes a really good point where she's like, we don't always have to be a jack of all trades. It's okay. <laughs> if you have a good song idea, that's one thing. But, you know, like, we've been told stories of artists who, because of this kind of bias feel the need to like insert something into a song that doesn't need to be there for the sake of getting songwriting credit um which annoys me like if you like the song sing it um and and if you have a great idea for it like epic awesome i'm very meta about collaboration as as you know but um yeah i feel that way like not every pop star needs to be writing I think we need to do away with the shame of a uh, pop star didn't write every single song. I don't know really where that came from, why it's a requirement for a good singer to also be a good songwriter. It very much annoys me. Yeah. This whole like, phase of singer-songwriters that's been going on when it's like people don't understand. Most songs are a collaborative effort. People, for some reason, want an artist to like sit alone in a room and come up with something like that's not that's not cool. Yeah, I hate that. And I'm a songwriter. Yeah, like, I don't know. It I think it stems from like a lot of different things. It's like they'll see people like Taylor Swift or Adele and they're like, oh, they could do it. Why can't I? but not realizing that what they doing took like years and years and years to like kind of craft. Taylor Swift was in a development program from the time she was 15. Right. Um, And she had, there was like a prolific songwriter she was working with for a while. Liz something, Liz Rose. I don't don't remember her name, but like a big name, like kind of helping her along the way. Um, And Adele also went to like a pretty prestigious art school out in the UK so it's like she's been honing her craft for years before anybody knew who she was Ed Sheeran too Ed Sheeran went to a really really good school as well okay and and worked hard and you just get better with every song you write yeah and also like the label independent artist I think is a little misleading nowadays it makes you feel like you have to do everything or you're not technically an independent artist even though it doesn't work that way there's just such odd expectations around art like and it's it's really bizarre and you and I I think are trying to do a good job of battling that but like even Taylor Swift like she has writing credits on her album mm-hmm. for other people like she writes with other people everyone writes with other people that's the best way to write a good song like sometimes you just need somebody else's ear on it and I yeah and I can't think of too many other examples other than one but like I really like when Taylor was She's supposedly a ghostwriter on that one Rihanna song with uh, Calvin Harris. Oh, not this... supposedly. She recorded the demo. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is what you came for, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that worked really well. Like, I don't know how much, how often she she does that, where she like just writes for other people also. Quite often, cool. uh, or she used to more. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But she wrote like several country songs too um back in the day 
that got placed, I think, with like Lady A and, and some people. I'd have to look. I can't remember. But yeah, sometimes you write a song and then you look at it and you're like, I'm not the right person for this or my audience isn't the right audience for this. And so you give it to someone who maybe is. They have the right audience or they have the right voice or they have the right perspective to sing from. Um, and, and that's okay. And I, I wish we were, as a society, a little better about that. I also have a rant about singers and actors and why can't we just have an actor lip sing to a singer in a movie? Mm-hmm. If like if that actor is is the right person for the part, go find the right voice. Then two people get paid for one job. Love it. <laughs> Instead of me listening to a really poor auto-tuned actor. That's the, that's the worst. It is. I'd really rather like if I'm watching a movie musical, I've already suspended reality anyway to a certain degree because people don't just burst out in song unless you go to music school. Mm-hmm. And they don't just narrate their feelings in song. Um, so you're already suspending reality. Just just have the actor lip sync. Go go find a singer, pay them well, credit them. That's all I care about. Like I just it's so it so annoys me. I hate that we don't do that anymore. But anyway, the point of that rant was don't be afraid to collaborate. And do, you know, that way you can do what you actually feel comfortable and like doing. Exactly. Exactly. And don't be afraid to, you know, if someone approaches you with a song, take it. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Try new things. Okay. Producer of the year, I predicted Daniel Nigro because I didn't think that they were going to give it to Jack Antonov. She didn't believe in you, Jack. That's what she said. That was my wish. My wish was Jack Antonoff, but I thought they were going to give it to Daniel Nigro because I thought that they were going to award Olivia Rodrigo in like this. um, What was Mm. it? Wasn't sour this year? It was guts. Guts. That's right. I thought they were going to like award it in some capacity that project. Um, And then the more I thought about it, because she didn't take home any Grammys for guts. Really, I thought. Damn, I thought she got at least something. No, she didn't win anything. And people were talking about like her face throughout the night. And they're like, oh, it's because she hates Taylor Swift. I was like, no, I think it's because she's not winning um, for her project. The more I thought about it, the more sour was such a moment pop culture wise and gut kind of fell short of that the way sophomore albums often do. You know what it is? Because I really thought about I don't know why, like I randomly was thinking about that for a while, even before we had the Grammys episode. But, like, for me, the reason that a lot of the songs on Sour really worked is because she had a really strong concept for all of those singles. Like, Driver's License and Deja Vu. And there was one other. I'm not not remembering. But, like, those are really clever and interesting kind of ways to frame a song. Whereas I feel like Guts was a lot more, like, clever little catchphrases. Yeah. Or the concept itself, it kind of felt like it still needed more fine tuning, like Vampire. Like that song for me, even though it's a it's a good song, it's still for me, it feels like a draft of a great song. We talked about this like in one of our earlier episodes. That's exactly how I feel about that song, because uh, we were talking about there's so much fun language that comes with like Vampire. And yet um, you you rhymed fame fucker with blood sucker. Like there's so many other things that you yeah. could have done here 
that didn't involve, you know, having to come up with something else because you can't use that word in pop radio, which is something for songwriters to think of. Like, I very rarely curse in my songs, even though I tend to curse like a sailor in real life because I just, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with having it muted or anything like that. It's, I don't know. It's. I feel exactly the same way, mostly because in pop music, you don't need it. Like there are certain yeah. genres where it works, but pop music, like, come on, you're trying to get radio. Yeah, it's like, it works really well in like the mature genres, like R&B and hip hop, you're right. But like, I don't know, for pop stuff, it's like you want a wide audience to be able to sing along with it, like as much as possible. That's kind of the whole point, right? So it's like, why would you, I don't know. I just feel like there's better you also screw your sync chances with that like people they don't want to have like a song that's bleeped out in the background of a commercial oh, yeah, or yeah, in yeah. the background of a movie like you just screw yourself on sync opportunities so you're losing money a lot of times if you're writing a pop song with a curse word um yeah don't have like a clever way of covering it like something that's funny right because i've heard that before where it sounds like the singer is gonna curse but then something happens and it's that's one of my like favorite songwriting tropes i've used it myself you're expecting a curse word coming up and then it's just not there or it's something else it makes me laugh every time um but yeah, that project was really unrewarded. I might just be too into like pop TikTok that I thought Daniel Nigro was going to win, especially for the rise and fall of Midwestern Princess, I believe is the name of the album. And that's Chapel Roan. And I mean, she's just now starting to really get some notoriety for that project in like kind of mainstream. I think I just, I don't know. I discovered her on TikTok and I I love her and I thought the album was incredible. Oh, cool. So I thought they were gonna try and like slyly award that, but no, Jack Antonoff won three years in a row and well-deserved. I think he needs to go on vacation next year so somebody else has a chance of winning. But considering he's on the Taylor Swift project that she announced, I think he's gonna win four years in a row. Oh, yeah, we can talk about that later, too. <laughs> we'll get into the controversies. All right, best new artist. I'm going to give myself half credit because I was wishing for Victoria Monet, but I didn't think that they were going to give it to her. You were like, they're absolutely going to give it to her. It's I, about time. You know what's funny is that when we were doing the list, I fully thought for both Jack and Victoria, I was going to be wrong, but I was like, I don't care. I'm picking them for both want and <laughs> who I think will win. I'm going all in. I, I love that she won. I loved her acceptance speech. She was yeah. so floored by it. She looked stunning. She looked so beautiful. Like her dress, everything top to bottom. She looked amazing. I'm so happy for her. She's so incredible. And she talked about like, I've been here for 10 years. Like I've been working so hard for 10 years. And people keep talking about that. I love how people online were like, who is she? <laughs> And it's like, how do you, I, are you joking? Like, are you like, no, Seven Rings was written by her. Like, she's an incredible writer. She's amazing. A lot of the greats or like household names started off that way, mm-hmm. especially like in the 2000s, like Katy Perry and Bruno Mars, Jesse J. 
they all started off writing for other people. So it's just like she's, you know, on a similar path. But yeah, I really like that. For me, this was like the best case scenario in that like a lot of the artists, no disrespect to them, were like a lot younger. Um, I yeah, believe. And greener, honestly. Yeah, and it's just like it proves that you don't have to start a music career in your twenties to necessarily be successful. It kind of, you know, dispels that myth. Yeah. That made me really happy. Um, and we need more of that, honestly, because there is a lot of ageism in the industry. And it's like, no, like yes. becoming a really good songwriter takes time. You know, like you have to you have to learn the craft, etc. Victoria Monet is so good, um, just on every level. I love her voice, I love her performance. Um, and and she's a great writer on top of all of it. So I hope her next album it I think I hope that this award gives her enough notoriety that she gets to work with some really, really big names and we just get an absolute banger of a next album. I'd really like There's to hear a, uh, either her, even both, maybe her and like SZA or Megan Thee Stallion, Beyonce, like one of those kind of artists, I feel like that would be a fire track. Oh my God, I'd pass out probably. <laughs> All right, the final and biggest award of the night, Album of the Year. Jay, do you want to touch on why Album of the Year is such a big award? What's like the equivalent of Best Picture, right? It's the one that kind of is the strongest body of work, supposedly, the year that, you know, that particular Grammys is happening. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the best way I can put it. I don't know if you have a different definition for it. No, I think that's the best way to describe it to people is, I mean, and it is actually one of the few awards that looks at the recording process as well as the craft and it pulls it all together. It looks at all of the collaborators, everyone who's been on the project, etc. Um, so my wish was the record Boy Genius. They did win big in lesser categories. Your wish was Lana. And actually, the more I thought about it after that episode, I was hoping for Lana too. Like it's it's past time. Let's get into the controversy. Let's talk about it. Lana Del Rey deserves a fucking Grammy. She absolutely does. I mean, this is just again, this is preposterous. Like I said it on the last episode, but again, she's on three, three of these albums. It's like, why? Is she not rewarded yet? And did you see that bullshit comment that some that leaked from like one of the voters before saying that they couldn't take her seriously after her SNL performance? Are you fucking kidding? No, like it was a big thing on TikTok for a while. And I was like, I am Alana Stan and I don't even remember that performance. So the fact that you're like holding that against her over a decade later that's crazy. That was one of her first major performances. Like a lot of people botch their one of their first major performances because a lot of times like you get psyched out. It, it just happens, right? Like performance anxiety is real. And, and SNL, that's millions of people, man. And if you get too in your head about it, you're going to freak out. And I'm not right. saying that's what happened. But I'm saying that's what could have happened. But it, it kind of made her go viral and expose more people to her music. So it was kind of a moment for her career. It's it's one of those, like, is is there any such thing as bad press kind of moments? 
And I mean, Billie Eilish has said Lana raised us. How many female artists are inspired by what Lana Del Rey does? Like it's it's out of this world. She is one of those artists that's usually your favorite artist's favorite artist. And mm. she has an incredible body of work. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know a single female songwriter my age or younger who does not list Lana Del Rey as and as an influence. Even the guys I've worked with, yeah. like Phineas, um, he used uh, video games. It was either video games or Born to Die as like the reference track for Ocean Eyes when he and Billy were making that. And even my friend Dito and I, when we were writing our song that's out now that was like a big reference point for us just like what we wanted to go for sonically and aesthetically like we want something kind of sp spooky yeah. <laughs> very like rich in textures like lana so yes. she's she's everywhere whether you think so or not i mean it's it's upsetting that she didn't at least win in a lower category it's really upsetting that they didn't award a and w which is an incredible song which you had picked for a wish it's past time, man. And it's just, I mean, we're at a point, it's ridiculous. So you predicted SOS by SZA, which was a great prediction. She did win a lot that night. I forget how many Grammys she won that night. And it was, it was a big moment. I predicted Midnight's and that was the only thing that I got correct. <laughs> by Taylor Swift. I I'm just not, thought- I'm not gonna lie. By the time we got to, <laughs> to, I think- Billy and them were like the last ones to win. I was like, damn, this is embarrassing. I hope Midnight's does win. <laughs> Just so neat I can get a point. Uh, I have 1.5 points on the board. <laughs> but so I thought they were going to award it just because Taylor Swift has had such a massive, massive year. It started with her literally sweeping the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 when her album came out, yeah. when Midnight's came out which you and I were both in a class where we had to analyze the Hot 100 <laughs> and mm -hmm. everyone was talking about Taylor Swift that week. Yes. <laughs> which is really funny. Yeah. I mean, it was such a big, big moment to watch an entire album sweep the Hot 100. I was like, they're, they're going to have to give it to her. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't see how they don't. There was a big controversy about Taylor Swift pulling Lana up on stage with her. I think Taylor Swift was trying to give Lana some flowers because everyone was kind of like, why hasn't Lana won a Grammy yet? And Taylor Swift made a point about that. She was like, I mean, one of the most incredible writers is here on stage with me. Taylor Swift got in some hot water for that. She also got in some hot water for announcing her new album and I, I think the backlash is just ridiculous. I think everyone's just, you know how when you've hung out with someone for too many days in a row and they start to annoy you? <laughs> I think that's how yes. a lot of people are feeling about Taylor Swift right now. So like if you have a friend like come stay with you and they've just overstayed their welcome and now the way that they breathe annoys you, like Taylor Swift has done things that aren't really that bad and people are like, crucify her. It's like, I think you just need to go to sleep. <laughs> you just need to take a nap. Yeah, it was like that. And you, the other one I would add is like how she took that award from Celine. Like literally just yeah. how she received it. She was told not to approach Celine Dion because of what Celine Dion is like going through because of her medical issues, mm -hmm. or at least that's has been the response to the backlash. 
I don't know if that's true or not, or if people are just trying to save face, but Taylor Swift's team has had, you know, they've had a week. They've yeah. had a few weeks as a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between that and like the NFL BS, which is just ridiculous. Oh yeah. That's really stupid and petty. But what do we think about, um, you're going to have to help me out with this long fucking name that she has for her new project. What is it? Something poets department. Yeah, um, I forget. Everyone's calling it the Dead Poet Society. That's <laughs> I was fighting so hard not to say that, and you said it. And you said it. it anyway. God, I can tell you what date it comes out. It's April nineteenth. But yeah, it's um, oh, the Tortured Poets Department, and it's a play on her ex boyfriend Joe Alwyn, who she spent four years of her life with. It's a play on he's in a text group with a couple of other like well known actors. Not that he is one, but. I'm sorry, I can't help but be petty about this man. Because <laughs> um, I'm I'm on Team Taylor for this one. But he's in like a text chain and it's called like the Tortured Man's Department or something like that. So everyone online is talking about, you know how when you're in a relationship, you don't want your friends to know just how bad it is so you don't tell them everything because you don't want them to hate your significant other. And then after they break up, you get all of the tea of just how bad their significant other was to them. That's what this album is about to be. No disrespect to her. I feel like that's a lot of her work. <laughs> so it's, it's just yeah. like, it's not, I mean, that's in theory, that sounds really cool, but I don't, for her, I don't well, know if it's re revolutionary. You look at the Reputation album and you look at the Lover album. She's talking about how how in love she is with this guy. Like he came around. Oh, she was with era. him during the, like that era. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so if you really look at the Reputation album, it is a love album. Like there are lots of love songs on it, in addition to like the Reputation songs, which yeah. are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and then Lover came out, was it? Yeah, it was Lover came out after that. And then she had like Folklore and Evermore. Yeah, so she wrote a ton of love songs about him. And then with Midnight's, everyone started to get suspicious about like, eh, I don't think this relationship is doing too well. So um, those suspicions were confirmed. And so people are like, oh, we're going to hear we're going to hear the truth about this man. Because I think Taylor Swift has also gotten to a place where she doesn't give a flying F about mm. exposing shitty men. And I and you know what? I'm I'm on board. I'm here for it. This is not related to that, but like. Have you ever written a song like that before? Where I just, I ha like don't care and I put all the details in? I, I guess anything just like referencing an ex or just like past relationship where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to get this all out in song. Actually, <laughs> um, I have only talked about this with my music video director uh, when we were talking about magnetic uh -huh. um, but the opening line it's the usual suspects that's from a movie casablanca and the, the guy that i was talking about we had watched that together oh. i had shown that to him for the first time like this is my one of my favorite movies of all time so every once in a while i'll throw in some stuff like that if it fits really well um but a lot of times it doesn't fit and I want other people to relate to the song. So that kind of stops me from putting too much detail in. You know, there's that theory about it was we were told it by Pat Pattinson about like the furniture on set. Like, what do you really need 
to portray what you're trying to portray. And I think about that all the time. Like, what furniture do I need to get the message across? Mm -hmm. What set pieces do I really need? That's fair. Yeah. I'm just curious because, like, that's such a songwriter trope, right? That's like a a stereotype that we always get associated with. And I don't think I've ever been able to write a song like that before. I haven't either. I've always had reservations about it. Um, now that I'm like finishing up this this project that I've been working on for the better part of two years, and I'm thinking about what my mm-hmm. next project is going to be, I have a little less shame, honestly. Like I might actually just start fucking calling people out. <laughs> Say who's their name. Exactly. Like who's going to know? Who cares? But actually the pettiest song that I ever wrote, which is not out yet, it's not specific at all, but it is the pettiest song that I've ever written in my life. So it can it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. It can be petty and non-specific. No, that's very true. I feel like that's the way to go if you're going to do that kind of thing anyway. So It's also genre specific. Like if you're writing a pop banger, usually you're not going to put in a lot of detail. But if you're writing a slow, sad singer-songwritery song. Like a country song. You might. Yeah, you might throw it in just because like melody lines tend to be longer and and have more room for flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So another big, big controversy of the night was Jay-Z's speech. When he accepted his award, he basically looked out at the crowd and said, a lot of you don't belong in the category. I was dead. I almost passed out. (laughs) No comment. Listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's wrong. I other years, I I wasn't mad about this Actually, year's yeah. No, you're, you're right. Years, yeah. There was a lot of female and queer representation this year, and so if he was specifically talking about this year you don't belong in the category, I think that would have been shitty, but I think he was talking about the years that Beyoncé did not win specifically, and yeah, there were several people who didn't belong in the category those years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, because now that I think about it, this year's like nominees were pretty, pretty solid artists. Like whether you necessarily vibe with them or not, it's like they do what they do in their specific genre well, well right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, like you might not be the biggest Swifty ever, but like she has a very good way of approaching the craft, and all her stuff is really well made because of both her and the care that her and her team have behind everything right so yeah um same goes for all those artists so the comparisons of taylor swift to beyonce that have been going on on the internet because people took that comment and ran with it have been pissing me off honestly because yes they're both pop artists but they could not be more different in their skill set and expertise and mm-hmm. comparing them is just it's it's weird to me yeah they're both at the top of their game they both had the highest selling tours of the year they're both incredible they both support each other's career but like why are people trying to be kanye right now and it's the comparisons have gotten to the point my uncle who's not really tapped into pop culture but we were talking about it and he didn't realize that beyonce wasn't nominated she didn't have an album out for this set of awards yeah he thought that taylor swift had won over beyonce 
because that's how the conversation has started to sound. And yes, Taylor Swift has won album of the year four times, and it is absolutely atrocious that Beyonce has not won that award yet. But like the comparisons are just weird and putting fault on the artist, that's not correct. It's it's fault of the Academy. It's fault of the voting body, which is largely older and largely white. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just like I don't even know what to say about this because this is like a tricky subject, right? Because no matter what you kind of say about it it all kind of comes back to the people voting like you said and it's like you can't be too mad at like the people that have won those awards because it's like they didn't ask to be put up there but what like what do you what what did you want them to do be like no i'm sorry i just thank you for the opportunity but no thank you like what else like what do you want from them basically Yeah, I so remember when Adele won over Beyonce. That's just uh, what I was going to bring up. And I'm like, I get what she was trying. Yeah, she deserved it. I was pissed. I was, I saw red that evening that Lemonade did not win album of the year. Like, mm. and Adele even said, she's like, I, I can't, she was like beside herself. She's like, I can't believe. And, and she talked about Beyonce in her acceptance speech yeah but like what else well like what was adele gonna do besides that you not know? accept the award right like it's not her it, fault it's an odd conversation and i think jay-z's larger point is that awards only really mean something when they go to the people who deserve them which is true yeah i mean that's that's true um but yeah lemonade deserved it hundred percent i will always be salty about that especially because i love adele but 25 is not my favorite album that's i hate that she names all her albums her age so that they kind of get jumbled up in my head but i i i agree that was the album with hello Hello. on it but it didn't really have anything else on it i think it was just like the album was good but it didn't have any other like singles singles. it was like hello send my love and water under the bridge but i mean those are i wouldn't categorize those as like her best songs no they were catchy but they they were not like her best Mm -hmm. yeah anyway are there any more controversies that we missed that we can touch on this is an ugly one but a lot of people a lot of people were questioning like why tracy chapman needed to be there and i'm like because she wrote the song that was dumb did you see that i i don't even a lot of it i saw a lot of responses to that yeah because i don't even really want to repeat like how it was phrased because it's so stupid and ridiculous to me (laughs) yeah but i'm like she wrote the song so like why why wouldn't she be if you are offered a chance to perform at the grammys for a cover the proper thing to do is reach out to the songwriter or the original artist and say hey do you want to join me like that's just the right thing to do like luke combs was absolutely correct for having her on stage with him yeah like 
it's i'm sorry it's just that's that's just good music industry manners like we don't talk about that about how there are just some things that are understood that you just do right because it's it's the right thing to do like it's just the ethics and we are in kind of a shady industry like let's let's be honest there's some not great business practices but you honor the original writer the original artist that's absolutely the right thing to do like i've been impressed with luke combs not necessarily his performance i thought it was good and i like the cover i like the original better truth be told i've heard a lot of covers of that song and it's and it's it's a good cover like i'm not i'm not trying to shit on it but um i've been more impressed with how he talks about her and what her album meant to him and why he covered the song than i really was impressed with like his performance or his recording of it truth be told i think for the live performance he did exactly what he needed to do which is like it felt like they were singing the song together because one of my favorite like memes from the grammys that people still make fun of to this day is like that five person tribute to aretha have you seen that yeah where it's like christina florence welch jennifer hudson uh, Martina McBride and uh, who was the other one? I don't remember, but it it sounds like they're all singing. They're all, they're doing their own thing, right? Yeah. It's like they are. It's as if they're not even aware of the other singers next to them. It, they're all debating out. Yeah, and it's just like so much all at once. And in this case, you have the complete opposite of that, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a really good performance. What I noticed and what I loved was Tracy Chapman didn't give a fuck. She was just there. She was vibing. She was doing a great job. And Luke Combs looked scared out of his mind. (laughs) Which is how I would feel performing to the entire Academy. (laughs) But Tracy's like, this is old hat. Who cares? Yeah. I didn't really see it as scared. I saw it more as like overwhelmed in a way like oh this yeah, is like really this sure. is yeah this is like really happening i'm really the magnitude of the moment yeah yeah he looked like he was really like understanding it and taking it in i love that taylor swift was the first one to stand up and sing along and then everyone joined her because she saw tracy chapman come out and every time they panned to her that bitch knew every word mm-hmm. you put respect on tracy chapman and i loved it what do you think makes this song like this impactful to this day oh god that's such a good question because years from now somebody's gonna probably release another cover of it right and it'll like resurface again so like and i'm gonna have to explain to like my teenager no that was tracy chapman (laughs) yeah i think what's so powerful about the song is and we've talked about songs that can transcend genre like i've heard really like pop versions like synths and drum machines like really pop versions of the song that i've really liked i think the melody just transcends genre and i think it's it's a specific story but in the way that when you read a novel that's a specific story but you still relate to the character and you empathize with the person that's created in this story like I am, I'm not a 12 year old boy, but I related to Harry Potter when I read the novel. There's something about this character trying to get out and trying to find a better life and saying it's out there that I think we all relate to on some level, even though it's, it's masterful storytelling. 
in such a short amount of time. And then the way that the chorus comes in, it just lifts and it takes you somewhere else. I mean, there's something in this song that is just, it's relatable. It's got a really great tight melody. And yeah, the the verses are so grounded and the chorus is so lifted. Like it's, there's something inspirational about it too. I don't know. I, I could talk about that song forever. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think this is a really good example of, this might sound obvious, but like the actual craft of what songwriting should be. Right. Yes. Because a lot of the times I feel like people don't actually, that's a very vague term nowadays, but like, people don't actually understand like, okay, what is the songwriter actually supposed to do? Like, are they setting the instruments? Are they just writing certain parts of the songs? Do they just do lyrics? And I think for me, my favorite definition of songwriting is that sets us apart from like poets and composers is that it's our job to put together the melody and lyrics. That's really like our job, right? Mm -hmm that kind of sets us apart from the other two that might not, that might be missing one of those factors. And this one, it's just like the lyrics are good. Obviously that she paints a really good picture and there's not a moment in the melody where it seems like wandery or clunky. It's just, it seems very I... intentional all the way through. So there's like, there's not really anything I can nitpick about the song itself, you know? It's one of those few perfect songs, even though it does break a couple of rules because it doesn't get to the chorus in the first minute. It has like a double verse at the beginning, if I'm remembering correctly. I think so. So there are a few things that like break, I mean, at least pop songwriting rules that you tell artists and they're like, they get mad at you. <laughs> I guess but, I guess because she was going for folk and it was like a different time period that that's like more flexible. And the melody is, is so good. It's so good the way that it, it has space and it speeds up like the timing of it is so like there's something so magical. It's one of those few like it breaks a rule and it's a perfect song. Yeah, but also I, I feel like it does a really good job of it, its chorus, obviously, but I feel like a lot of the times people forget what that section is actually supposed to do. Like it's not supposed to be a part where you just scream the same word over and over again. It's your chorus really should it should be the part of your song where in one or two sentences you get the big picture. Yes. Right? You get like the main idea there um about how you feel about it and the overall arching theme concepts and whatnot. I think I mentioned this before, but like Eric Leva, one of our instructors from Berkeley, brought this up to me a while ago where it's like, for a good song, you should be able to hear the chorus in like a grocery store or department store, like wherever, and know like exactly what the whole song is about just from that section alone. And with this song, you obviously do. And I think I think the reason why she gets away with having like so many details in the verses is because the chorus itself is so the vibe. Yeah, it it's so I don't even know how to put this. It's like transcendent. Yeah, it's like so relatable and so 
it yeah it's just going back to like the harry potter reference it's like it, this is something that everybody has felt at one point so it's like the details at that point don't even matter it's like i can connect to this part of the song another rule that it breaks is the title is nowhere in the chorus oh it's yeah. at the beginning of the verses yeah yeah um which is i mean i mean the whole song is is beautiful and masterful and i hope that it does get covered for years and years and years because i do hope that i get to tell my kids who tracy chapman is it will be i'm going to anyway whether there's a, a good cover out or not moving on i think that covers our grammys coverage jay you and i have both had a great start to 2024 you have just released a new song do you want to talk about it Yes, I just released a song called En Las Sombras, which is a vibe uh, featuring Dido Delirium. We'll have him uh, maybe a couple weeks from now. I got to reach out to him again. Uh, but yeah, it's a vibe. It's definitely fun. If you like The weekend or Bad Bunny type of vibes, definitely check it out. Um, we'll talk about it more later. I love, I love that it is in both Spanish and English. It is a Spanglish song. Um, I love that it has something for for both audiences, and it is it is such a vibe. Like it's it's so cool. It's such a it's such a cool song. Can you talk about like a little bit about the songwriting process? Well, I was gonna save that for the episode with him, but uh, yeah, I give us a two minute spiel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it was just like I just reached out to him because I'm one of those people where I'm like, I'm just like how. Oh collaborate with anybody that I think is cool and we just started coming up with like a bunch of different concepts and things that we liked I always like to have a reference track in mind so he and I like made a list and then we just looked at like the things that we had in common and then we started with the title itself like as soon as I said en las sombras which means in the shadows he was just like honestly after you said that that's all I could think about so let's go ahead and write that song um and then we just we're careful to like stay in theme. So we made yeah. like a lot of like scary or references back to that so that the the whole song kind of felt cohesive. And we did a lot of rewrites and, and worked on it for a while. So I'm really happy with how it turned out. I love it. It keeps popping up on my Spotify and every time I'm like, yes, okay, cool. let's do it. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing even more. Do you have any other releases coming up or are we keeping that under wraps? I'm keeping that under wraps for right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, our audience will just have to stay tuned. Getting into our final segment of the week. Jay, what is your playback pick of the week? So I'm picking a song called Lose Control by Teddy Swims. Is such a good singer and I've watched his stuff on YouTube for a while and I have to say like I am not easy easily pleased when it comes to like cover artists because I'm like okay I feel like you really gotta you know you're not writing or you're not doing anything new per se so it's like okay you gotta bring something different to this mm -hmm. um, but his voice alone is so like raspy but in a way that is still pleasant to listen to that like any cover he does, I'm just like, yeah, this is this is a vibe. This is nice to listen to. So it's really nice to see him um, taking off. You know, we love when talent really gains notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. We love when talented people get the recognition they deserve. He does have a really unique voice. And I, I love that. 
I, I love singers that I can identify like immediately. Yes. And that's, that's something that sticks with me. And that's usually when I really like covers is when someone has a really identifiable voice. Yeah. I really like when a cover is like the person has like a really different voice than the original, because if they sound too similar, I'm like, why the hell would I listen to this as opposed to just the original? You know what I mean? That's how I feel too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's definitely how I feel. All right. My playback pick of the week is nothing matters by the last dinner party. It is this really cool alt girl band. I am super, super into them. I haven't listened to their album yet, but I have a really long drive today. And so that's like, that's it's already cued like I already know what I'm doing but the last dinner party has been facing some like accusations of industry plant and <sighs> a lot of <laughs> I love your eye I, roll I fucking hate that term audiences, so the much biggest eye roll from Jay I do too so um you know like Billie Eilish has faced accusations of industry plant some really talented people have faced the accusation of industry plant because it's usually a talented person who gets that accusation but my favorite response to the backlash was if this is what an industry plant sounds like plant more <laughs> the industry needs to plant more please right yeah. The song is super catchy. I love it. I posted it on Instagram and a lot of people have come back and been like, thank you for this suggestion. I can't stop listening to it. It's so good. Nice. Jay, do you want to explain your eye roll for the industry plant comment? Yes, because if you are associated with a record label, whether it's big or small, like an indie smaller label, they're going to push you. That's the whole point of having you signed as an artist. They are putting... That's the best part of representation. <laughs> that's the whole point. For those of you that don't understand how it works, you as an artist, when you're signed, the benefit of that is you come in and you work on your music. And then when it comes to like merch and promotion, you can either choose to work on that or you don't have to do shit. And for me, I wouldn't want to do shit when it comes to promotion and all that stuff because it's that's a full time. That's actually basically what I do in my full time job. So yeah. it's like it's why would you want to do that as an artist yourself? You know, you you love music. So give yourself the chance to work on that. It goes back to like the collaboration discussion we were having. Promoters and stuff like that are collaborators, too. Yes. So don't be afraid to have them in your corner if you can. Yes, it's it's a tool. It's another tool in the toolbox that some people are just fortunate enough to have. And and it is a collaboration. I think that is the whole message of our entire podcast is music is more collaborative than you think that it is. Every, like in literally every, every everything. Yeah. Not just yeah. the let's write it not let's write a song together, bro. Like that's not <laughs> that's what you see on instagram but it's like it's so much more than that yes absolutely all right team go stream in las sombras check out our playback picks of the week and we will see you next episode go create some good animals.